Welcome to the Health and High Performance Podcast with your host, Coach Peter. This podcast is for busy modern humans who want to maximize their business and financial success and live in a healthy body that is strong, looks the part, and performs optimally both mentally and physically. In each episode, I share bite-sized health, fitness, and human performance lessons to help you live your best life. So, put on your headphones, head out of the door, and start stepping into your potential. In today's episode, you're going to learn 8 evidence-based strategies to improve the health and performance of your brain. I've been absolutely fascinated by the brain, and especially by the prefrontal cortex lately, and I think that's for a good reason, because in the end of the day, your brain and my brain, they are our most valuable assets. And our ability to thrive in the modern world, it really hinges on the functioning of our brains. If you want to navigate and if you want to dominate in the competitive business world, you have to be very innovative, you have to create a lot of different kinds of strategies, and you have to be resilient and you have to be greedy to follow up on those strategies that you build. These functions of the brain, they belong to the expertise of the most modernly developed part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex. And these functions of the prefrontal cortex are absolutely essential for your performance in your workplace and also your happiness. So if you make money with your brain and you live in the modern world, you really can't afford not to take care of the health of your brain and the health of your prefrontal cortex. Furthermore, you can really gain a huge competitive advantage over your competition by incorporating habits and behaviors into your lifestyle that enhance the functioning of your cortex and they give you more brain power in terms of better problem-solving capabilities, more tenacity, more motivation, and more drive. When it comes to enhancing the functioning of your brain, it really comes down to participating in activities that increase the production of something known as BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor. Brain-derived neurotropic factor is a key molecule that is involved in learning, memory, and the plasticity of the brain. For a very long time, scientists used to think that the brain you had after your childhood was the same brain that you were going to have for the rest of your life. We now know that this is untrue. And we now know that in fact the brain keeps changing for as long as you live. And the changing of the brain, this is what is called neuroplasticity. The brain is plastic. It can change. A child's brain is very plastic and it's very easy for a child to learn new things. That's their job. They're supposed to learn how the world works so that they can participate and thrive in the world. Think about that, how insane it actually is that a young kid, young child can learn how to speak multiple languages without ever studying the grammar, just from picking up patterns and creating connections between the words that their parents are using. And that's that's kind of wild. And their brain is such a pattern recognition monster. And their 
Cortex is creating these connections at such a speed that it really ena enables such a crazy feat as learning a language just from listening your parents speaking. And that's kind of wild when you think about it. Then on the flip side, the older we get, the less plastic our brain becomes. You know, for example, I'm pretty sure everyone can relate that it's going to be a lot harder for you to learn a new language when you're an adult compared to when you're, you're a kid. So when it comes to keeping our brain healthy, keeping our brains plastic and keeping our brains performing as well as possible, we really want to focus on engaging in behaviors that increase brain-derived neurotropic factor. So without further ado, let's get into our eight strategies to improve the functioning and performance of your brain. The number one strategy to improve the functioning of your brain is going to be sleep. Firstly, everyone knows that when you have a great night's sleep and you wake up with a ton of energy, you feel awesome and you just feel like you're ready to attack your day. This is going to have in and of itself great impact on your productivity and your sociability, how happy and how effective you are in the modern world. On the other hand, when you're not sleeping well and you have a bad night's sleep and you wake up dragging your heels and you wake up exhausted, your ability to solve problems, your ability to stay cool, not get moody, not get reactive. I don't know about you, but I'm severely challenged. I imagine, I hope to imagine that other people function this way too. When you don't sleep well, you simply, you're not the best version of yourself. And there's just no way, no way on earth that you're as effective as you could be in your workplace if you're not sleeping properly. Turns out that sleep is also important for the brain because deep sleep greatly increases the production of brain-derived neurotropic factor. And everyone knows that we, the most of our learning and memory consolidation happens when we are going through our 90-minute sleep cycles. And this is why sleep plays such an important part in the consolidation of memories, because that's when we get our biggest secretions of brain-derived neurotropic factor. The other thing that deep sleep does that's really important for the health of our brain is that it's kind of this cleaning process that takes place every single night. See. During our waking hours, at all points in time, we are experiencing mild levels of brain damage. And this is because there is something known as beta amyloid plaque that is building up in our brain. And there has been a very significant correlation that has been um, shown between beta amyloid plaque buildup in the brain and the development of Alzheimer's disease and dementia later on in life. So this is something we really want to avoid. So it turns out that in, when you are in your deep sleep, that is when this beta amyloid block is cleaned up from the brain. And therefore, this is why losing sleep and especially not getting enough deep sleep is a major, major risk factor for developing Alzheimer's disease and dementia later on in life. So not only is sleep going to improve your learning, it's going to improve the functioning of your brain, 
but it's also going to help to keep your brain healthy and to reduce the likelihood of any brain-related diseases. So what should you do? Well, it turns out that evidence is very clear that most humans should sleep between 7 and 9 hours each and every night. And I heard Matthew Walker, who's an absolute monster in the field of sleep research, I heard him say once that the amount of people who don't experience any impairment in their performance or their health if they sleep less than six hours a night, the amount of those people when rounded to the closest full number is a big round zero. So I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be taking my chances with that, that statement. The second thing that you should do to improve your health and performance of your brain is to exercise. This is because exercise, and especially aerobic exercise, also increases brain-derived neurotropic factor production. So aerobic exercise, this is exercise like walking, light jogging, basically whenever your heart rate stays underneath 85% of your maximum heart rate, this is considered aerobic exercise. So certainly exercise when you can easily maintain your nasal breathing when you're training, that's when you are training aerobically. And then if you can't maintain nasal breathing, if you're going 80, above 85% of your maximum heart rate, now you are exercising anaerobically. So that's a little bit different thing. So aerobic exercise increases the production of brain-derived neurotropic factor. And this is why exercise can be so, so beneficial, not only for your mental health, because exercise has a very clear antidepressant F effect, but it can be really beneficial for your ability to think. And this is why, you know, a lunchtime walk, just 10, 20, 30 minute walk on your lunchtime, this is starting to sound like a pretty good idea. Not only are you going to be digesting your food better because walking after your meal can improve your blood sugar regulation, it will improve your digestion, but also you're upregulating the BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor production for the rest of the day. The other thing I, I've really found and I like to say is that exercise is your daily opportunity. It is your da best daily opportunity to challenge your mind and learn how to go through your self-limiting thoughts and how to break through your self-imposed barriers. And when you can do this in the weight room or when you're running or whenever it is, when you can really overcome what you thought was possible for yourself, this is a skill and this is a quality that translates to the rest of your life. Whatever it is, you can take this same skill and this same mindset and it can really transform the way that you do absolutely everything. So the recommendation when it comes to exercising to improve the functioning of your brain is to resistance train three to four times a week and do a minimum of 30 minutes of walking each and every day. And like I said, I'm a big believer in lunchtime walks. I like to go for a 20 minute walk after my lunch each and every day without absolute failure. And I really stand by the statement that I think that it plays a big part in my ability to function properly and optimally in the afternoons. The third strategy to improve the performance and the functioning of your brain is to practice hypercapnic breathing exercises. What does hypercapnic breathing exercise mean? Well, 
Hypergamic breathing basically means breathing exercises where you increase the levels of carbon dioxide in your blood. Why is this beneficial for your brain? Well, it turns out that oxygen is a bit of a big deal. So the goal of breathing itself is to deliver oxygen to your brain, to your muscles and to your organs. And the more oxygen is available to the brain, to the muscles and to the organs, the better they are going to function. So more oxygen is better for the brain than less oxygen. How does it relate to breathing? Well, funny you should ask. It turns out that when we breathe in different ways, we can manipulate the levels of carbon dioxide in our blood. This is important because when it comes to breathing, carbon dioxide is not just a waste gas because carbon dioxide is the main stimulus for the release of oxygen to take place from hemoglobin. Hemoglobin is a protein that is found in your red blood cells and hemoglobin is the vehicle for oxygen and carbon dioxide as they go through your system. Carbon dioxide levels in the blood are going to impact the affinity of hemoglobin to oxygen. In other words, how tightly hemoglobin is holding on to oxygen. When blood carbon dioxide levels are higher, this causes the acidity of the blood to change. The blood becomes slightly more acidic. When the blood becomes slightly more acidic, that causes the affinity of hemoglobin to oxygen to re reduce. Sorry about that, to reduce. When the affinity of hemoglobin to oxygen reduces, that improves oxygen release and oxygen delivery from the hemoglobin to your brain, to your organs, and to your muscles. This is going to improve the functioning of them all. On the flip side, when blood carbon dioxide levels are low, it causes the blood to become slightly more alkaline. When blood becomes slightly more alkaline, the affinity of hemoglobin to oxygen is going to increase, and less oxygen is going to be released from the hemoglobin. This is going to deprive your brain, your muscles, and your organs from oxygen. So how does this relate to breathing and how we breathe? Well, if you hyperventilate, if you breathe, if you breathe through your mouth, if you're breathing 16 to 20 breaths and above per minute, you are hyperventilating. You are exhaling excessive amounts of carbon dioxide. And because you are exhaling so much carbon dioxide, your blood carbon dioxide levels are going to drop. That's going to increase the affinity of hemoglobin to oxygen. That's going to drive a stress response. It's going to drive the constriction of your blood vessels. And it's going to reduce oxygen delivery to your brain, to your muscles, and to your organs. So wrap your head around this. The more you breathe, the more air you breathe, the heavier you breathe, the more you deprive your cells of oxygen. On the flip side, when you breathe through your nose and when you consciously slow down your breathing, when you slow down your breathing to the point of experiencing mild levels of air hunger, now you can be sure that you are experiencing the rise of carbon dioxide. When CO2 levels increase, now you are reducing the affinity of hemoglobin to oxygen and you are increasing the release and the rate of oxygen delivery from the hemoglobin to the brain, to the muscles and to the organs. So 
the point to, to take away from this is that overbreathing and breathing too much air is not better. More is not better when it comes to breathing. Mouth breathing and hyperventilating, breathing about 20 breaths per minute, you are exhaling too much carbon dioxide and you are depriving your brain of oxygen. You're also stimulating a stress response and stress response itself is going to shut down the prefrontal cortex and you're going to be recruit you're going to be relying, sorry, mostly on the limbic system, which is the more primitive part of the brain. So what is the recommendation here? Breathe through your nose. Always breathe through your nose. And practice hypercapnic breathing exercises. And these hypercapnic breathing exercises are obviously a major player in the Breathing Foundations course. Not only because they improve the oxygen release to the brain, but also because they're very good at activating the rest and digest state of your autonomic nervous system and improving your long-term stress tolerance. The fourth thing that you can do to improve the functioning of your brain is to eat foods that are high in polyphenols. Polyphenols are compounds that are found in certain plant foods. Polyphenols are antioxidants that protect the body's tissues against oxidative stress and associated pathologies such as cancers, coronary heart disease and overall systemic inflammation. Guess what? Polyphenols also increase our old friend, brain-derived neurotropic factor. So what kind of foods are high in polyphenols? Well, you're gonna love me for this one, because dark chocolate, blueberries, and extra virgin olive oil. These are examples of foods that are high in polyphenol foods, and they have been proven to increase brain-derived neurotropic factor and to support brain health. So another reason, to eat dark chocolate. I would give you one word of caution though with dark chocolate. This is just an N equals one experiment that I've found, but because um, I've never heard any other people saying this, and I'm curious to hear if you experience the same, but what I've found is that when I eat dark chocolate at nighttime, it actually keeps me up. I can't sleep as well. And I've then looked into it, and it turns out that some of the compounds in dark chocolate and in cacao they are actually stimulants, but this is very individual. It doesn't affect my girlfriend. She can eat as much dark chocolate as she wants, more than she would want <laughs> sometimes, but she doesn't experience any of it. It doesn't disturb her sleep at all. But if I have dark chocolate, especially later in the day, I will wake up in the middle of the night, like boom, I'll be wide awake for no reason at all. And I've really, after you know paying attention to this stuff for a long long time i've noticed that dark chocolate is something that really keeps me up at night time so it might improve the functioning of your brain but if it's reducing your ability to sleep sleep is definitely the bigger hitter here so don't let your sleep quality be disturbed by dark chocolate so be honest with yourself experiment this is all experimentation and let me know what do you think about dark chocolate does it keep you up or does it allow you to sleep well? The fifth thing that you can do to improve the functioning of your brain is to meditate. Meditation has been shown to thicken and strengthen the prefrontal cortex. Once again, to give you a bit of a recap, the prefrontal cortex manages 
higher order brain functions like awareness, concentration, and decision making. And if the prefrontal cortex is referred to as the higher and the more modernly developed part of the brain, then we also have the limbic system, which is referred to as the lower brain. And this is a more primitive part of the brain that is responsible for behavior, pure behavior. It stems from limbic system. Also emotions such as anxiety, fear, and frustration. These things come from the limbic structures of the brain. So the point here is that meditation can strengthen your brain's ability to perform these higher order functions and weaken the grip of these lower brain functions. So in plain English, this means that you are able to apply the brakes much better on your impulses, your emotions. You're able to reason yourself out of stressful situations as opposed to turning into pure behavior and turning to an angry teenager. Because the thing that makes teenagers act like teenagers is actually the lack of prefrontal cortical control because the prefrontal cortex only matures in our mid-twenties. So the recommendation there is to meditate. Personally, I just got actually today was the 600th day of Sam Harris's waking up app. And that thing has been absolutely amazing. I've got to tell you, I've tried a few things. I've tried a few different meditation modalities. But this thing has just, you know, it's on the 600th day. Obviously, I've been experiencing benefits all the way through the 600 days. But I remember in the beginning, because he started with a 30-day course, assuming that you've never done this before. And he builds you up. And then after 30 days, it becomes pretty much evergreen. The sessions are always new sessions, but they're they're evergreen. And I would highly recommend you to check it out. I'm pretty sure you can still get a, back then I could do, uh, get a 30 day free trial and then you only invest thereafter. So I would highly recommend you to check it out. Waking Up App by Sam Harris. The sixth thing that you can do to improve the functioning of your brain is to get some sunlight. Believe it or not, but we humans evolved to live outside. Sunlight has countless benefits for our mental and our physical health. And everyone knows that you just feel absolutely fantastic when you are in the sun. So why is that? Why do you feel fantastic when you're in the sun? Well, obviously there are a couple things at play here. One of them is vitamin D. Vitamin D has a plethora of health benefits for the body. And one of them is that it's really good for the brain and it can protect against inflammation of the brain and other insults to the brain. And well, of course, you can supplement with vitamin D. However, it's not the same as the real deal because sunlight, it really has these other brain power benefits other than just improving the production of vitamin D. This is because sunlight stimulates the production of dopamine and dopamine is this neurotransmitter that is associated with motivation and reward seeking behavior and a healthy dopamine circuitry is absolutely essential to keep you focused and motivated on tasks that are very very challenging so if you don't have a healthy dopamine circuitry if you lack dopamine you are going to find it difficult 
to stick to your guns and to find the motivation and the drive to go through tasks that are very, very mentally challenging. And lack of dopamine has also been linked to depressive symptoms. So again, if our goal is health and high performance, this is not something that we want. And the other brain-related reason to get into the sun is that sunlight also increases, you guessed it, our old mate, brain-derived neurotropic factor production increases when we are in sunlight. And I can totally attest to this, you know, coming from Finland, where the winter is, when they say that winter is long and full of terrors, I don't know if you've been in Finland, because the winter is really damn long. And full of terrors over there. It's the amount of dark time. It's it's quite mind-boggling. And the further up you go in Finland, the more extreme it gets. I'm from the southern part of Finland, where this effect can still get quite extreme. Like when I go home, for example, in December, when in the end of December, when the day is pretty much the shortest that it gets, in the southern part of Finland, the sun will come up around 10 a.m and it will go down by 2.30. And in between, it's just dusk. And it never quite really, it, it might get like, you know, if this if, if it's a sunny day, the sun will sort of break the horizon, but then it'll, it'll go back down again. And if you're living in the very northern part of the F- Finland, northern part of Finland, the sun won't come up at all, or it'll barely break the horizon, and then it'll just go down. The day's ridiculously short. And of course, this is known as the seasonal affective disorder. This has a huge impact on the mental health and on the behavior of humans. And in Finland, when it's spring, it's like everything comes to life. It's the the trees, the little nibbles come to the trees and they open up and all of a sudden there's green everywhere. And like you can just see it in people's faces when they're getting some sunlight and they're actually spending time outside for the first time in many, many months everyone just transforms into a much, much happier human being. So, that's it. I hope you don't live in Finland. It's, it's great. Finland's great. Don't get me wrong. But the winter, it's it's bloody long. It's much better here in Australia. Um, so, sunlight has many benefits for the brain. And there are probably other benefits too, not just for the brain, but for the body, that we don't even know of. But that's a great place to start. You should spend some time in the sun because you're going to get more brain-derived neurotropic factor and dopamine and vitamin D. And these are all beneficial for the health and performance of your brain. So now, really the recommendation that I did earlier, go for a walk middle of the day, especially if you do it in the sun. That's starting to look like a pretty good idea, if you ask me. The seventh thing that you can do to improve the functioning and performance of your brain is to learn. Learning is fantastic for the brain because of increased neuroplasticity. So again, neuroplasticity is this ability of the brain to change and evolve as time goes on. And it turns out that when you're a complete beginner and when you have to learn something for the first time, when you don't know anything about the topic and you have to really focus on learning something new, this is really going to increase plasticity and this is going to really stimulate the production of brain derived neurotropic factor and this is especially important for the adult brain according to norman deutsch who authored an amazing book on the topic called the brain that changes itself i would recommend that book wholeheartedly 
Some very brain-friendly activities include learning anything new, because when you're a total beginner and you really have to focus on learning the, you have to learn the rules and you have to learn the patterns that govern whatever you are trying to learn, the brain is really forced to change. And when you force the brain to change, you enhance its ability to change further and you enhance your ability. Learning can make you better at learning and you can improve your ability to learn and remember things unrelated to that thing that you're actually trying to learn. So Norman Deutsch says that activities like jigsaw puzzles, playing music, learning new languages, learning new movements with your body, these are especially healthy for your brain. The, basically, what I want you to remember though, is that even though these specific activities are good, the basic rule of thumb is that whenever you're learning something new, where you have to learn new patterns and you have to learn new rules, it's the pattern recognition ability that's beneficial for you because this is an ability that needs to be maintained actively as we age or otherwise we're going to go a little bit stale and we lose the ability to learn new things quickly and this skill alone learning new things quickly pivoting adapting this is a matter of life and death in today's fast evolving world the eighth and the last thing that you can do to improve the functioning of your brain is to avoid stress. If you've been following this podcast and you've been listening to what I'm saying, you know that stress is very, very detrimental for your ability to operate at your best. I would highly recommend you to check out the episode number two, the episode where we talk about increasing your stress tolerance. A lot of the reason why stress is so bad for your body arises from the fact that as stress arises, prefrontal cortex is turned off and we rely more on primitive structures of the brain. And this results in the inability to access higher level thinking and your inability to reason yourself out from emotions like fear, anxiety, anger. You just can't, they, these things are just going to be overwhelming and they are just going to be driving behavior and you can't reason yourself out of it. So that in and of itself can be very, very detrimental and it can be very psychologically challenging. Beyond this, it's very well documented at this point in time that chronic activation of the stress response has been shown very definitively to lead to neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's disease, dementia, Parkinson's disease, cancer and a plethora of other diseases that we do not want. The good news here is that all the habits that we've covered here today, you know, sleeping well, exercising, doing those breathing exercises, meditation, healthy nutrition, learning, getting sunlight, all these are acutely going to lower your stress tolerance and they're also going to make you more resilient to chronic stress. And if we really want to drop this whole podcast into a recommendation, it's a good rule of thumb to remember that whatever is good for your health is probably also really good for your brain. And your brain is all you have. It's your most valuable asset. So take care of it and take care of it and give this a shot. And let me know how you go incorporating some of these habits into your life. And let me know if you have any questions about any of these habits. If you have any questions about anything, please. Don't hesitate to shoot me a message or send me a comment on my Instagram at Coach Burr. If you, listener, if you want to learn more about what I do, please head over to coachbutter.com 
and claim your free access to the free introductory course to my coaching model. The Pillars of High Performance model is what I call my model and that is the ultimate whole person approach to becoming an optimal modern human being. This course is a short six video series and these videos are no longer than a couple minutes each and they're the perfect length for a very productive toilet break from work. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have. It would help me a ton if you left me a rating and a review and if you shared this episode with at least one friend, one family member or a colleague who also needs to hear this message. Thank you so much for listening. This is Coach Buter. Let's do this.